0: CHAPTER Twelve, of Characters of Shakespeare's Plays by William Hazlitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nemo and Eva Davis. THE MIDSUMMER NIGHT'S DREAM Bottom the Weaver is a character that has not had justice done him. He is the most romantic of mechanics, and what a list of companions he has quince the carpenter snug the joiner flute the bellows-mender snout the tinker starveling the tailor and then again what a group of fairy attendants puck peace-blossom cobweb moth and mustard-seed it has been observed that shakespeare's characters are constructed upon deep physiological principles and there is something in this play which looks very like it bottom the weaver who takes the lead of this crew of patches rude mechanicals that work for bread upon athenian stalls follows a sedentary trade and he is accordingly represented as conceited serious and fantastical he is ready to undertake anything and everything as if it was as much a matter of course as the motion of his loom and shuttle, he is for playing the tyrant, the lover, the lady, the lion. He will roar that it shall do any man's heart good to hear him. And this being objected to as improper, he still has a resource in his good opinion of himself, and will roar you and twere any nightingale. Snug the joiner is the moral man of the piece who proceeds by measurement and discretion in all things. You see him with his rule and compass in his hand have you the lion's part written pray you if it be give it me for i am slow of study you may do it extempore, says quince for it is nothing but roaring starveling the tailor keeps the peace and objects to the lion and the drawn sword i believe we must leave the killing out when all's done starveling however does not start the objections himself, but seconds them when made by others, as if he had not spirit to express his fears without encouragement. It is too much to suppose all this intentional, but it very luckily falls out so. Nature includes all that is implied in the most subtle analytical distinctions, and the same distinctions will be found in Shakespeare. Bottom, who is not only chief actor but stage manager for the occasion, as a device to obviate the danger of frightening the ladies. Write to me a prologue, and let the prologue seem to say we will do no harm with our swords, and that Pyramus is not killed indeed, and for better assurance tell them that I, Pyramus, am not Pyramus, but Bottom the weaver. This will put them out of fear. Bottom seems to have understood the subject of dramatic allusion at least as well as any modern essayist. If our holiday mechanic rules the roast among his fellows, he is no less at home in his new character of an ass with amiable cheeks and fair large ears. He instinctively acquires a most learned taste and grows fastidious in the choice of dried peas and bottled hay. He is quite familiar with his new attendants and assigns them their parts with all due gravity. Monsieur Cobweb, good monsieur, get your weapon in your hand and kill me a red-hipped humble-bee on the top of a thistle and good monsieur bring me the honey-bag what an exact knowledge is here shown of natural history puck a robin goodfellow is the leader of the fairy band he is the aerial of the midsummer's night dream and yet as unlike as can be to the ariel and the tempest no other poet Could have made two such different characters out of the same fanciful materials and situations ariel is a minister of retribution who is touched with a sense of pity at the woes he inflicts puck is a madcap sprite full of wantonness and mischief who laughs at those whom he misleads lord what fools these mortals be ariel cleaves the air and executes his mission With the zeal of a winged messenger puck is borne along on his fairy errand like the light and glittering gossamer before the breeze he is indeed a most epicurean little gentleman dealing in quaint devices and faring in dainty delights prospero and his world of spirits are a set of moralists but with oberon and his fairies we are launched at once into the empire of the butterflies how beautifully is this race of beings contrasted with the men and women actors in the scene by a single epithet which titania gives to the latter the human mortals it is astonishing that shakespeare should be considered not only by foreigners but by many of our own critics as a gloomy and heavy writer who painted nothing but gorgons and hydras and chimeras dire his subtlety exceeds that of all other dramatic writers insomuch that a celebrated person of the present day said that he regarded him rather as a metaphysician than a poet his delicacy and sporting gaiety are infinite in the midsummer's night dream alone we should imagine there is more sweetness and beauty of description than in the whole range of french poetry put together what we mean is this that we will produce out of that single play ten passages to which we do not think any ten passages in the works of the french poets can be opposed displaying equal fancy and imagery shall we mention the remonstrance of helena to hermia or titania's description of her fairy train or her disputes with oberon about the indian boy or puck's account of himself and his employments or the fairy queen's exhortation to the elves To pay due attendance upon her favorite bottom or hippolyta's description of a chase or theseus's answer the two last are as heroical and spirited as the others are full of luscious tenderness the reading of this play is like wandering in a grove by moonlight the descriptions breathe a sweetness like odors thrown from beds of flowers titania's exhortation to the fairies to wait upon bottom which is remarkable for a certain ploying sweetness and the repetition of the rhymes is as follows
1: be kind and courteous to this gentleman hop in his walks and gamble in his eyes feed him with apricots and dewberries with purple grapes green figs and mulberries the honey-bags steal from the humble-bees and for night-tapers crop their waxen thighs and light them at the fiery glow-worm's eyes to have my love to bed and to arise and pluck the wings from painted butterflies to fan the moonbeams from his sleeping eyes nod to him elves and do him courtesies
0: the sounds of the lute and of the trumpet are not more distinct than the poetry of the foregoing passage end of the conversation between theseus and hippolyta theseus go one of you find out the forester for now our observation is performed and since we have the voward of the day my love shall hear the music of my hounds uncouple in the western valley go dispatch i say and find the forester we will fair queen up to the mountain's top and mark the musical confusion of hounds in echo in conjunction. Hippolyta
1: I was with Hercules and Cadmus once, when in a wood of Crete they bade the bear with hounds of Sparta. Never did I hear such gallant chiding, for beside the groves, the skies, the fountains, every region near seemed all one mutual cry. I never heard so musical a discord, such sweet thunder.
0: Theseus. My hounds are bred out of the Spartan kind, so fluid, so sanded, and their heads are hung with ears that sweep away the morning dew, crook-kneed and dew-lapped like Thessalian bulls, slow in pursuit, but matched in mouth like bells, each under each a cry more tunable was never hallooed to nor cheered with horn in Crete and Sparta. Norn Thessaly Judge when you hear. Even Titian never made a hunting piece of augusto so fresh and lusty and so near the first ages of the world as this. It has been suggested to us that the Midsummer's Night Dream would do admirably to get up as a Christmas afterpiece, and our prompter proposed that Mr. Keene should play the part of bottom, as worthy of his great talents. He might, in the discharge of his duty, offer to play the lady like any of our actresses that he pleased, the lover, the tyrant, like any of our actors that he pleased, and the lion, like the most fearful wild-fowl living. The carpenter, the tailor, and joiner, it was thought, would hit the galleries. The young ladies in love would interest the side-boxes, and Robin Goodfellow and his companions excite a lively fellow-feeling in the children from school there would be two courts an empire within an empire the athenian and the fairy king and queen with their attendants and with all their finery what an opportunity for processions for the sound of trumpets and glittering of spears what a fluttering of urchins painted wings what a delightful profusion of gauze clouds and airy spirits floating on them alas the experiment has been tried and has failed not through the fault of mr kean who did not play the part of bottom nor of mr liston who did and who played it well but from the nature of things the midsummer night's dream when acted is converted from a delightful fiction into a dull pantomime all that is finest in the play is lost in the representation the spectacle was grand but the spirit was evaporated the genius was fled poetry in the stage do not agree well together the attempt to reconcile them in this instance fails not only of effect but of decorum the ideal can have no place upon the stage which is a picture without perspective everything there is in the foreground that which was merely an airy shape a dream a passing thought immediately becomes an unmanageable reality where all is left to the imagination as is the case in reading every circumstance near or remote has an equal chance of being kept in mind and tells according to the mixed impression of all that has been suggested but the imagination cannot sufficiently qualify the actual impressions of the senses any offence given to the eye is not to be got rid of by explanation thus bottom's head in the play is a fantastic illusion produced by magic spells On the stage, it is an ass's head, and nothing more. Certainly, a very strange costume for a gentleman to appear in. Fancy cannot be embodied any more than a simile can be painted, and it is as idle to attempt it as to personate wall or moonshine. Fairies are not incredible, but fairies six feet high are so. Monsters are not shocking, if they are seen at a proper distance. When ghosts appear at midday, when apparitions stalk along Cheapside, then may the Midsummer's Night Dream be represented without injury at Covent Garden or at Drury Lane. The boards of a theatre and the regions of fancy are not the same thing. End of The Midsummer Night's Dream